This podcast is brought to you by Shout Engine. In less than five minutes, you can start your own podcast for free with ShoutEngine.com. You ever wrap up with an episode of Hooniverse and then just go, damn it, I need more content. I need two guys talking about cars, saying ridiculous things and insightful things on occasion. But, you know, at a rate of more insight to ridiculous than maybe Jeff and Chris produce. Well, you're in luck. There's Unnamed Automotive Podcast with hosts Sammy Hajasad and Benjamin Hunting. Sammy's from AutoGuide. Benjamin, he's a freelancer. He used to work with Jeff. They're buddies. That's all you need to know on that front. He's awesome. So these guys, they travel around. They do the journalist thing. They review cars. They check out old stuff. They tell you what's cool, what's weird. They throw out their opinion on just about everything. It's Unnamed Automotive Podcast. On the plus side, beyond all that other good stuff, Sammy sounds kind of like Eugene Merman, and if you know who that is, you'll appreciate this reference. And if you don't, don't worry about it. Either way, check out Unnamed Automotive Podcasts. They're on iTunes, they're on Google, they're wherever the hell you want your podcasts, because they're Unnamed Automotive Podcasts. Check them out. It's the Universe Podcast at the Magnaflow Podcasting Stage, a podcast extravaganza, whatever the hell you want to call it. Uh, today, I've got Rick Love from Vintage Air. Yes, How sir. the hell are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Been about a year. It doesn't seem like it, does it? It seems no. like it's been a few weeks. It seems like that keeps getting shorter and shorter the older I get. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, your parents told you about that. Yeah, I did, but, you know, why listen to them? Yeah. You know, yeah. That's, that, that makes no sense. Yeah. But it's been a good SEMA so far. Lots of people. Okay. Good weather and all that. Seems like it's been good. Yeah, you've probably seen a lot more of it than we have. We're kind of in this little dome True. here. True. So what, have, uh, so what do you guys bring to the show this year that you're, uh, that you're pushing hard? We're really excited about We just finished off some new, um, and you know, it's always funny. What we're excited about sometimes is nothing. But we've just finished off a brand new bolt-in heat cool defrost system for uh, 67 to 72 Ford F100 pickups. Ah, and a little one of those exactly, around out here. Exactly, and those trucks are really coming on. It's an electronically controlled system, like all of ours are, and uh, has a whole new control panel for the 67s, which are a uh, uh, year unto themselves. They have okay. their own. And then the 68 72, we take the factory control panel that the guy has, that the, the owner will have, and we include all new parts to change that over to electronic operation. So you maintain the look of the original control panel, Very but you cool. get electronic operation in the system. So you do that, and you do a nice little uh, vintage radio, vintage-looking radio setup, and you got a modern truck, effectively. Yep. Once you've once you've built everything right. else up, right? And you're not having to cut your dash. Uh, we include a, an underdash panel that looks real OEM, and uh, so you've got basically a bolt-in system without having to cut your truck, and you've got you know a modern climate control system for your pickup. Right. And a lot of these trucks never even. I mean, did any of those cars? No. None of them had no. AC. None of them had factory air. When did, it, when did actually factory air kick in for those things? Early 70s. Okay. 74, 75, right in that range. But everything, they had dealer-added air back then where, you know, coming from Texas like I oh, do, yeah. the Ford, Fords were all shipped to them, and you could add a dealer-added air. And the panel we make for under the dash is very reminiscent of that old dealer air panel. So it, it, it has that, that OEM look to it. Yeah, and uh, in my neighborhood... Um, I, every once in a while, I see cars from the 40s and 50s rolling around, and they've got the window units. Yes. And I'm just like, oh, God. Swamp that, cooler. 
Yeah, there's that's that just looks like a decapitation waiting to happen. I mean, there's no way in hell that that's even remotely safe. Well, and you know the other thing is that basically you're getting a little cooler air, but in a hot or in a hot dry climate like yes. Arizona, you know, yeah. it, you get some relief out of that swamp cooler because basically you're you're using evaporation to pull the heat away, right. like you know, like an AC. But in a humid environment like I'm in in Texas, it, all you end up doing is wet. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's why I never saw them when I lived in Florida. Either. Right. It was just like well, same thing. No, no good. Yep. Exactly. Basically a thing just to help produce mold. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, speaking of on that, given that uh, AC systems can be pretty finicky, what has to go into design considerations in order to make sure that, you know, your ductwork and stuff like that aren't getting moldy? Because, frankly, I have problems like that on modern cars, you know, yep. uh, nothing nothing like v- VW Auto Group would produce or anything like that. I've never seen it there. <laughs> um, so, what do you guys actually do to prevent that? Well, we use the ductos we use is all, you know, mildew resistant. Mm-hmm. It's treated to be mildew resistant. So, that's a good point. And, and, and you know... All of us manufacturers, MagnaFlow, Vintage Air, same type of thing, uh, unfortunately, we're all somewhat at the mercy of the installer. Right. You know, you can build the best systems in the world, and if the guy doesn't install it properly, you can have some of these problems. So we're pretty clear about that, our, our instructions, our installation instructions, that you've got to keep these duct hoses run so that you don't get water accumulation. The, the unit has to be mounted so that it drains properly. Mm-hmm. And then you do, as long as you don't have is drainage, you don't have all those problems. And, so. and, and this isn't in the vein of selling a new product, but what can you actually do to uh, to fix a situation like that where it actually has gotten moldy after the fact? Boy, there's not a lot you can do. You know, you can basically, you have those mold-killing sprays that you can spray as the blower's running. Yeah. And then it pulls it in and pushes it throughout the whole system, and it'll kill the mold. But yeah. it's it's once it forms, it's difficult. It's, it's just like in your shower, you know, it's a whole lot easier to yeah. keep it from forming than to get rid of it. Maybe a little ozone or something like yeah. that can help. It yes, but yeah. uh, things like that. But yeah. it's 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 more difficult. Again, you know, easier to get it to get it before it happens. Right, right. So is uh, so you've got the you've got the F one hundred stuff mm-hmm. out now. What else have you guys shipped over the course of the last year that, uh, that that's going to be new to me? Another thing that's real real happy about is. Uh, 60, 67, 69 Camaros, the first-gen Camaros, continue mm-hmm. to be such a popular vehicle. Wait, it, some people like working on early Camaros? Yeah, you know, I, I've never, amazingly didn't enough. Didn't know people built those. <laughs> All you got to do is walk around here, and you'll see one or two of them at least. One or you know, two, yeah. Yeah, or a hundred. And a, a lot of the, the control panels we've been finding from our customers, it's hard to get new ones. The reproduction's mm-hmm. drying up, and uh, so we built bolt-in control panels for the 67 to 69 Camaros. So I'm betting a, you're probably selling a few of those. That's We're just kicking them off here. We're debuting them here. We've had a real good response to them, so I think it's going to be a real popular product. And the other bonus of that is the 69 to 74 Nova. Chevy Nova uses the exact same dash panel as the Camaro. So, oh, nice. So it's a bolt-in so for the a Nova as well. Exactly, exactly. Very so, nice. And, and you, the nice thing is you get some more advantages out of it. You get a variable speed blower, a variable blend between for your temperature, and a, a variable air blend, whereas with a lot of the Camaro controls, we used the factory controls and modified them so you only had a three-speed blower. So it gives you a more modern LED backlit, so it gives you a more modern look right. and function to your controllers. Right. So, and it's a bolt-in. Very cool. I mean... So what? Uh, so obviously that's that's a big application. Mm-hmm. Um, other than kind of those obvious ones, your 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 F one hundreds, your C tens, your you know your early Camaros, your early Mustangs. What's kind of a surprisingly big seller for you? Yeah, I'll if tell only you, personally, you know. Well, I've always been a square body Chevy guy, yep. you know, and the the explosion in growth in those square bodies has been amazing the last couple of years. I mean, I wish now five six years ago I could have bought. A dozen really nice, clean mm-hmm. short wides for four to six thousand dollars. 
Oh yeah, well that's how I look at you know nine elevens from from ten right. years ago. You right. could have bought an old junky nine eleven for ten thousand dollars, oh, yeah. twelve thousand yeah. dollars, no problem, all day long. And now it's eighty, ninety. Yeah. Yeah, you know. it's amazing on that. And those square bodies, the growth on those square bodies, and we have a kit for them. And I notice other people in the industry, classic instruments, and a lot of the other ones are making so many more bolt-in components for those square body trucks. And you look around SEMA and the Blazers and that square body, we knew they were going to grow. Everybody could see that coming when the other ones, the 67 to 72, got so expensive. The square body was kind of the next thing. Right. But the the, the curve on that, the growth curve, has been really, really steep. Very cool. What kind of so when you add a system in your like, like yours, um, you've obviously got uh, you've got uh, pump driven compressors and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, do you have purely electric systems as well? The, you know, it's it's funny you ask that. We uh, we used to, we were getting that question quite a bit for a while because you can buy an electric compressor now, and we we were getting the question so often that we had our engineering department put put together a whole pros and cons and and posted on our website. Mm-hmm. The problem with an electric compressor is it's an electric motor and they're designed to be used in an electric vehicle that has either 480 volts or 350 right. volts, things like that, high-voltage operation. Once you start putting it in a hot rod or a muscle car where you only have 12 volts, and Ohm's law is Ohm's law. I mean, it, right. voltage goes down, current goes way up. Right. So if, you don't have, if you're trying to run an electric compressor with 12 volts, you're needing 200 200 amps yeah, which to run the compressor. you're not going to get out of an average, right. average alternator right. by any means. Exactly. And that, if that's just to drive the compressor, and the slower you drive the compressor, the the less BTUs, you know, the less flow you get out of it. So it's in most cases, that's not a real good solution for a hot rod or for a muscle car. Now, if you're running like, you know, like Jonathan Ward at Icon did, where they took that Mercury up there, that 49 Merc, mm-hmm. and put a the drivetrain out of a Tesla in there, now Now you've got that high voltage. Uh, yeah, there. John's always got interesting projects going on, yeah. and his build quality, you know. I just had Mike and Jim Ring up here, and we were talking about it. It's just like, there's a few guys out there that just look at their stuff, and they're just always crazy. Like, uh, Mike and Jim, they're doing uh, they're doing blazers now, yeah. too, and I'm like, how are you doing that, and that's not John, you know? <laughs> uh, but, you know, yeah, that, that Tesla project was a real cool setup that they yeah. got going on there. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, Ostensibly, that uh, that electric Camaro that got over there too could do it too. Yeah, exactly. Same type of thing. Once you've got the voltage to run them, an electric compressor is a good solution. But with boy, with twelve volts, it's it's not a great solution. Has anybody ever approached you about doing a cold air charge for the intake system? Yes. Yeah, and and we've had several guys do it. I mean, okay. you know, you've got that you've got that available. Yeah, I, I mean, I've mm-hmm. seen that I've I've seen that concept thrown around before, but I really hadn't seen anybody like yourselves that could actually bring that to reality in terms of of potential mass market solution. Well, the the problem is you you've only got so much compressor capacity with a size. Right. And if you're going to be running an evaporator inside the car and then trying to run a charge air cooler too, you start you know, there's always always capacity Right. is what you got to consider with that, you know. Okay, so if you're doing something really oddball, right? Mm-hmm. You're restoring an old, you know, let's call it like an old Opal or something like that. What would you do versus, you know, to get a to get a customer up and running? How would that process work in order to get them the things that they need? Well, that we do that every day. Our sales guys okay. do that every day. I mean, we have a large number of bolt-in SureFit kits that are designed specifically for vehicles, for the most popular vehicles. Right. But for a lot of the, the less popular cars, 
uh, we have a whole line of what we call our builder series. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're basically universal components. Lego can, pieces that you plug exactly, together. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, you can pick a control panel. You can pick the louvers you want to use. You know, you we measure your radiator core, and it gets you the largest condenser that you can. Yeah. You know, we have a large array of brackets for the engines and all of that. I mean, there's a there's a Volvo here that has vintage air in it, you know, okay, the guys. Cool. So, yeah, that's that's a very common thing. Our, our salesmen or our dealers, they deal with that every day. I'm wondering if you have you ever had a uh, any called for instead of actually having physical controls, but doing like a, a Bluetooth control or something like that. We've looked at that a little bit, and you know, and we're going to be going that way in the future. But it it's one of those things where hopefully the customer's considering the whole package because you know if you've if you've got a fuel injected car where you can start it up remotely mm-hmm. and then use your Bluetooth to turn on the AC, so you're pre cooling the car before you get there. That makes a little bit of sense. But to just have a Bluetooth control going down the road. Reaching for your phone to try to adjust your AC oh, is yeah, not no, always the best. You know, it's, it's not the best situation. Where, so you know, maybe instead of having to try and hide, right. you know, hide it in the dash right. panel somewhere. Right. You know, I'm thinking something like a really small car, like an original Mini right. or something like that. Right. Right. Joe. Uh, so there's, we're going to have that option available, but uh, there are, there again, there's some challenges for it. You know, make it work. Oh right. yeah, I mean, again, there's always going to be a compromise yeah. with that right. sort of thing. Right, and I mean that's the big word right there. We always talk with customers about is compromise. Yeah, everything's in a hot rod's a compromise. So you know, if you want this, there's there's certain limitations that come along with it. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's there's definitely a wide array of just random shit that's out there, and it's like you can't build a solution that perfectly fits every last one of them. So I've always been curious what it looks like piecing one of your one of yeah. your. Oh, it's together. an it's an easy process. I mean, yeah. it, it really is. We've we've got. Again, guys that do it every day, and when we design new components and control panels and all of that, we always keep that in mind. We try to keep that in, in mind. Okay, who's going to be using this, and, and how can we match the theme for a whole bunch of different vehicles? Have, right. you know, have components available that are going to match a variety of themes, from a resto-type theme to real wild. And, like, you know, when I'm dealing with Mike and Jim all the time, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of what they do is pretty wild stuff, and it's kind of yes. out there, you know, so... So yeah. uh, we, we talk to them. They're good friends of mine, and we talk constantly about things like I'm that. I'm guessing you guys probably have something in that blazer that they just we put do. together. We do. Yeah. 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 Uh, They've got one of our bolt-in systems in that and just uh, made some custom controls for it yeah, that, to give it the ring look. You know, That would make sense because that would seem like every uh, one you would carry is on the yeah. blazer. Because that was, what year blazer was that again? I think it's a 71 or 2. Okay. 71 or so 2. So old, but not, not super old to the point, you know, but old enough that it didn't have AC or anything. You know, the funny thing is when you start thinking about that, that's a nearly 50-year-old truck. Yeah, I know. I you know. know. You, I, to me, too, I've got a 66 El Camino that I drive almost every day. And to me, I almost consider that a late-model vehicle until you start thinking how old a 66 is now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be 36 on Sunday, so I'm looking at some of this stuff now, and you go, oh, well, it's 10, older, 10 years older than me. Shit. Right. That's an old car. <laughs> yeah. That's an old car. It is know? legitimately and an old it car. Is. And it is. And, you know, you start thinking even the G-body cars of the 80s and everything, we think of that as being a pretty new car, the you know, a fourth-gen Camaro, third or fourth-gen yeah. Camaro, and until you start doing the math, and obviously oh, yeah. that's getting to be an older car. Well, I had uh, height suspension on the other day, and we were talking about their... Um, IRS kit that they're pushing real hard on the F bodies mm-hmm. on the 4th gens, mm-hmm. yep. the 3rd and the 4th gens and you know, it dawned on me the other day I had a 99 Camaro, that car's almost 20 years old now. Yeah, yeah. You know. Exactly. That's it. You start doing the math all of a sudden and, and think back when you were younger, a 20 year old car was an old car. Well, a 20 year old car when I was a kid we were talking about, you know, mid 60s muscle yeah. cars. Right. You know, right. And those were shit boxes by the way. <laughs> Everybody went, why do I want this piece of garbage? Right. You right. know. 
because you could get yourself a 300ZX with the louvered windows on the back instead, and that was cool. Yeah, and the sunshade, too, yeah. on the back window. And don't forget, yeah. turbo badges everywhere. Oh. Uh-huh. Yeah, why have performance when you can have graphics? That was kind of you know that was the seventies exactly. mantra. Not the shit on the three hundred. I mean, they were fine cars for right. the time. It's you know, it's just yeah. Oh man, the eighties was not a good time for anybody. No, late seventies and eighties. You look back and and that is certainly the low point of of car building here. Yeah, I think the only thing out of the eighties that I really like are some German stuff, and I love the Grand National. Yeah, yeah, yeah that New York Grand National boy that. Talk about a car that I got a funny story on a Grand National. A friend of mine had a had a I call it a car collection. It was a few cars, and he had a, a '66 Hemi GTX, yeah, four speed car, all original, and he bought uh, a Grand National. And we went out one Friday evening, just kind of playing around with him and everything, and you know had to run him a little bit and everything. And I could pull him off the line with that Hemi. Yeah. As soon as that Grand National started breathing, it would it well, would suck right on by. Brake boost those things. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it would suck right on by. And here we think of the Hemi as boy, that was a, but that Grand National man, that well, was a well, good no. Car. I mean, most of those cars from the '60s were 15 or 16 second cars. They yeah. were not fast. No, no, They're you're exactly right. At all. I mean, a Civic R now is like a 127 tra- trap. Right. right. You know, a Civic Type R 127 trap. Right. It's insane. Right. I mean, you did, because I grew up, I mean, I, I graduated in the late 70s, and so we, I mean, our 55 Chevy was the 67 to 69 Camaro. That's what we all had, you right. know. And I, I'm going to tell you, you had a 12-second car back in the late 70s. That was a fast car. Oh, yeah. Oh, there I mean, weren't a lot of cars. 12 seconds you know, is still fast now, yeah. but, I mean, it's like, you know, I remember being happy hitting 13s yeah. when I was in my early 20s. Yeah. And going from the 13s to the 12s, I mean, trying to pick up that half a second once you got down there, that was yeah. that was a lot. Yeah. Well, and then I bought my Corvette in 2008, mm-hmm. and it was just like, oh, it was a low 12-second car. Right. That, was, that was a big deal. Right. And it got 28 miles a gallon. Yeah. Well, I came. I may or may not have come back from SEMA and averaged over 120 miles an hour one year, hypothetically, and averaged 33 miles per gallon. Yeah. You know? I mean, you think about how technology has changed. The muscle car technology has changed back then. I mean, yeah. it's just it, for what we have now. We're so, I mean, this is the golden age for sure, the the products and cars that are available now. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I think the concept of the golden age might even be thrown out at this point just because we're just moving forward constantly now. Uh, I mean, we had the dark ages there between, you know, just accounting being shitty with the car companies and them not knowing how to handle all the new environmental right. controls. Right. Um, but I don't know that we're really going to get any curveballs like that now. You know, you hope not. It's. I did read something rather disturbing a couple weeks ago that a lot of the OEMs, that the numbers on their, their high-performance cars are down, which is a, it's just surprising me. I don't know if maybe yeah. there's just so many options out there now. I think there's that, but you also have, I mean, we're seeing the evidence of it here, is that the gasoline has been relatively inexpensive for the last few years. And the American public is exceptionally good at having a short memory and being very yeah. stupid. Yes. And going, hey, gas is cheap. I'm going to buy the biggest truck I can. Right. You know? And then next thing you know, gas is $6 a gallon, and they all, they're all crying. Yeah. You well, know? I'll tell you, we last year in Texas, when we had the big hurricane, when Hugo hit and yep. basically shut off the gas supply in San Antonio, and we had gas lines. We had mm-hmm. people with wielding guns. Over fuel, and this was for a weekend, basically for a week. Yep. And it wasn't like there wasn't any gas; you just couldn't get it here. Oh yeah! And it, like you say, it's amazing how quickly it, that was an amazing situation for us to see how quickly things can degenerate. Yep. 
and it's, it was well, amazing. and I lived in South Florida for eight years, so I dealt with a you lot of hurricanes. hurricanes and, and gas is one of the first problems that happens. Yes, yes. Is what people don't realize is that the gas pumps are pumped with electricity. <laughs> so no electricity, no gas station. Right. You got gas stations, but you can't get it out of the ground. Exactly. Yeah, and the same thing in, in, that we ran into in Texas. The refineries were there. There was ta- there was gas in the in all the big tanks. Yep. They just couldn't get the tank trucks there to get it delivered. Yeah. Well, as it turns out, even a big ass tank truck with you know several tons of fuel on it is still apt to flip over when your winds are 100 miles an hour. Yes. Yes. You know? Exactly. Well, that's the same story yeah. with the fire department and the ambulance teller. We can't go out either. Right. You know. Right. But uh, yeah. So. Now, so you've done a billion CMAs, as have I. Um, do you really get much of a chance to walk around at this point? or You know, I'm, I try to. I've, I've been getting here early in the morning. I've been here at 7 o'clock the last couple of mornings, and then I've got a little bit of time to walk around. And the nice thing is there's not, you know, not a lot of people are dumb enough to get up that early and do that. So, you know, you, I can take some pictures of cars, get some good interior shots yep. of people that are using our, our parts. And so that's what I try to do because I, I – I, you want to, you know, I'm still an enthusiast at heart. I'm a hot rodder, so yeah. I mean, I I want to make sure I do enjoy the SEMA show because it is it is the SEMA show, and it continues to expand every year. Yeah, it's it's become such a business thing and routine thing for me that sometimes I got to remind myself that I actually do like this stuff, right? Um, right. Because we're also slammed here all the time. Right. You know, it's right. it's. I think this was perception, especially when you know. You're talking about younger people that haven't had to do trade shows and haven't had to work this stuff to where they're like, oh, it's vacation. You know, yeah, you get to go to the SEMA show. Everything. Well, yeah, but I didn't. You know, look at what you see here. Ninety percent of the time, I'm, you're I'm here. In a, you, know? you know, I'm in a nine foot by nine foot room right. for the majority of the show, right. or I'm on stage talking. Right. You know, not that I'm complaining. It's just that's the reality of it. Right. Is that we're you know everybody that's here is here to work. Right. For the most part. Right. It's it's a different it's a different you have a different perspective than just. The spectator of the shop that's here because you know yeah right. you're here working like i am you know we have i have dealers i have to see i have builders that i want to renew relationships with you know yep. and people to talk about new products with and everything so yeah we you arrive with an agenda as do i mm-hmm. and it's a little different from being able to float around and see everything yeah it's been several years since i've really been able to do that and, yeah. I, kind of, and I miss that a little bit but um so you have made it around a little bit yes what's uh, what's been some of the stuff that caught your eye this year i'll tell you one thing that that of course you know i'm, I'm always Somewhat business driven because I keep my eyes out for things. FJ forties this year. Gosh, there's a ton yeah, of FJ forties awesome. this year. Yeah, and I mean nice ones. Yeah, nice ones out there. Well, there's some companies. You saw there. John Ward's so that he built. You know, yes. a few years ago, and so. he's been doing those for a long time. Oh, yeah, but yeah, there's, yeah. Uh, there's, I can't tell you how many really nice FJ forties I've seen, and just the quality level of cars that are here at SEMA. Every year it just gets better. And a car that five years ago would have been the talk of the SEMA show. You know, there's yeah. there's fifty of those now. Yeah, yeah. The builders have really stepped up the game. Oh. They're all in competition with each other yes. now. Yes. Um, you know, and, and we again. I was just talking with Mike and Jim Ring, mm-hmm. and you know, we were just like, you know, they're not everybody has a big name, but that doesn't mean that they're not good. Right. They're little right. tiny shops that don't really put any effort right. into marketing and stuff like that right. because they they just don't want to. Right. And they're putting out stuff as good as their stuff. Yeah. And, and the good thing, like you were talking with Mike and Jim, I just hosted a builder's panel this morning with Bobby Alloway and Troy Trepanier and Kyle Tucker. And you talk about those guys. They don't even consider themselves so much in competition anymore. They're good friends. Like they are. the rings were on that panel last year yep. with us. And they, they look at each other's cars for inspiration and what each other are doing. And they're all trying to do their very best 
not so much what the other guy is. You know, right. they're, they're, but their best gets better but every they, year. You know, but they learn little tricks from their exactly. friends. And, yep. you know, yep. and uh, it's, it's cool. Like, you know, I had Jason Engel on yesterday, mm-hmm. too, and Jason's become a friend from doing the show over yep. the years. And it's just, it's kind of fun now. I've, I've known these guys long enough. I've seen enough of their work that I can oftentimes now just spot their stuff without even knowing right. that they did right. it. Because they get the little touches that you yes. can always tell. Yep. Oh, a Ring Brothers car will never be... Never be confused with a Bobby Alloway car for or a Trapanier car. For lack of better terms, there is a finish to the ring cars that nobody else has. Yeah. You know, and then there are design elements to like Jason Ingles' cars yeah. that like nobody else has. And then like you get like a Foose car, and of course right. you know that it's a Foose right. car. Right. You know, or a Bodie, or you know, or yep. something like that. They they have their you know. It's like looking at paintings. Everybody has their own, you know, everybody's got their own brushstroke. Right. Everybody's got right. their own preferred paint. Right. You know, they, they all do things a little differently. And if you know the guys long enough and you see enough of their work, you can pick it out. And that's actually kind of a fun game to it walk is. around SEMA and go, who built this one? And, and you, you nailed it when you said it's the design elements. Yeah. You know, the design elements, you can really pick out the builder. If you know the builder and you've seen enough of their cars, they carry a lot of, you know, again, alloy. I mean, it's going to be great big tires in the back and smaller ones in the front. That car is going to have a nasty rake on it. Yep. Now, Mike and Jim, not so much. I mean, it's more of a yep. pro touring look to their cars and everything, yep. you know. And they've got, you know, some of the, the milled aluminum parts, you know. You've got a lot of that on those they cars. They want it to drive like a car you bought off the lot but looks like one that you bought off the lot 50 years ago. Right. Yeah. Right. Right, and it is. It's design elements, but and and in the builders panel today, that's one of the things the advice these builders give to these young guys that are there for credit or for not for credit for advice is you got to do your thing that for you. Yeah, I mean, not you know you you develop your style. Obviously, you're working with customers, but you can do what you can do. Not everybody does everything. So, yeah, and it's um you know, and I get the same thing with people that want to start podcasts. They go, well, "What do I do? And how do I set the format?" And I'm like. Oh, just start doing it because no matter what you do in a year from now, whatever you're doing is not going to resemble what you started with. Right. You're going to figure it out. Things are going to change a lot. If you like it, it's going to morph. Right. And you're going to look back at it a year after that and you're going to go, ooh, that first year was rough. Yeah. You know? But, uh, you know, such is the nature of getting, you know, more experience with any of the stuff like this. Exactly. Car building, podcasts, anything else. I mean, the the air conditioning systems that we're designing and building now, I mean, you know, this year one of the things that we designed and we're manufacturing the AC for the new Ford GT that you've got. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Exhibited here in the booth. We talked about that last year. Yep. And so, I mean, it's, when I look back at the GT that we did 2004, Mm Mm-hmm. The, the system that we've designed for this one is light years ahead of that. Yeah. And everything. You know, we all continue to grow. I mean, Vinegar was founded in 1976. I mean, they were vacuum-operated systems. They were very basic. They were everything else. And, I mean, you know, we all evolve. The good companies and the good builders, the good, they all evolve. And, I mean, the rings would be the same way. You look at some of the Mustangs they did originally and what they do now, it's a long way. Oh, yeah. They've come a long way. Not that their earlier stuff wasn't cool. But no. It's, it's a different thing. It's an evolution. So... On, on the term, topic of evolution, last year we touched base on a little bit of some of the refrigerant standards were kind of up in the air, and some manufacturers were pushing one thing. So has any of that settled down, or is that still kind it, it of... It really has settled down. Okay. The OEMs, if you're selling in Europe, you're going to be using the 1234A, okay. YF, the YF1234. It, you know, in the aftermarket that we're in, they're not outlawing 134A, Okay. and the availability is going to continue to be there. The What you got to consider is that when you're using that new refrigerant, it takes a separate refrigerant station right. to charge and all of that and and they're not like Mike and Jim and I were talking about this the other night they bought a machine because they they work in the collision business as well mm-hmm. before they bought this machine they were driving 
100 miles oh, charge their cars and everything. So at this point, in the aftermarket, I think 134A is going to be around for quite a while. I mean, okay. we did the 1234 in the GT because it sold overseas. And there, wasn't there another competing standard that, like, Chrysler was trying to push or something like that? They were, but they've, they've settled on the, okay. the 1234. What was one that one again? Well. There, there well, were the several. The concern was, like, that it was flammable or well, something, That was propane. Right? Yeah, and it was basically propane's been used. Are, and, oh, they were using. They were trying to basically use a propane? Well, and CO2. I mean, there was there's several different oh, ways wow. of, of low global warming potential. Yeah, you know, systems approaches to these you know to, to doing air conditioning. Yeah. And uh, but that 1234 is or the 1234YF is going to be around for a and, while. And from what I understand, there was kind of a, a little bit of a conspiracy theory, although maybe not that much of a conspiracy, is that the patents were basically expiring on the R134. Yes. Is that really what basically pushed that pushed that along? You know. There's an old saying about following the money, and yeah. you know, there's that's definitely a factor. You know, there. Well, the patent's twenty years, right? Right. So, so we'll and expect you, another one in about eighteen years, right? There's, 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 you know, the money aspect of anything is always a consideration. Oh yeah, eh, eh, money usually can get you yeah. to the source of something right. pretty right. quickly. Um, okay, so. Anything else, like, uh, you know, just for your own personal interest around here that you want to go and scope out before, before everything shuts down? Yeah, I always I always like to see so, – so many of these builders are good friends of mine. I've known them for 20, 30 years, some yep. of them. And so I always want to see what they're doing. Boy, I'll tell you, uh, I was looking – Kindig's new cars. I mean, Dave has, I think, 10 cars here. And some of them – I mean, when's the last time you saw a Hot Rod 300 SL Mercedes going? Uh, I saw that car and uh, never – Never. Never. An LS-powered 300 SL. I mean, that's just, I mean, that's pretty remarkable. Yeah. That is, uh, yeah, remarkable is is one way to put that. It yeah. is. Yeah. It, it, it batch it. Yeah. Batch it. It is. I mean, and the, so that's the, I'm, something like that really interests me in, in pulling that off and having the guts to do something like, I mean, that's having a heck of a customer that's going to take a 300 SL and let you make a hot rod out of it. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, uh, and that was a real 300 SL to start yeah. with, too. Yeah. Because there was another one kicking around here that clearly isn't a real 300 SL. Right, right. Uh, but, uh, yeah. But I suppose, you know, you do it the right way and you're not actually chopping at the chassis. It doesn't matter. You can right. always put it back to the way it was right. if you decide you want to. So Right. And now that's probably the only one. Like I said, how many hot rods do you see for 300 SL? So. None. None. Because another one, I mean, uh, Jesse Greening, Greening Auto. They've just finished off a Maverick, 71 okay. Maverick. Pro, I mean, twin-turbocharged Ford engine, won the Ford Design Award, the Grand Ford Design Award and everything. Just a killer car. A few years ago, if you told somebody you were building a Maverick for SEMA, they'd kind of look at you a little different. I mean, that car is one of the hits of the show. Yeah. Oh, I've always kind of liked those cars. I mean, Pretty lines. Yeah. I, I, I'm kind of surprised we haven't seen more um, uh, prowl, not uh, uh, the, the uh, Cougars. Yeah. Uh, that's always a car that I really liked. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's so much more unique than the Mustang is, even though they're so closely related. They share a lot of parts, yeah. Yeah. Share the same platform, basically. Yeah. Right? But, you know, some of those had some rust issues, too. So, I mean, I, and less less replacement panels available. So yeah. bringing something, bringing one a little rougher back is a little harder than it is a Mustang when you can buy anything you need. Yeah. So as far as getting into stuff that's a little more modern, do you guys have any offerings in terms of, like, I, I like one of the ones that's clearly getting to be more and more popular in terms of restorations and, and modding in California now are Fox Body Mustangs. Do you guys have solutions for those? In, in our builder line, we do, yeah. In okay. fact, uh, Goolsby Customs, you know, the good guys, uh, their, their most recent project car is a Fox Body Mustang. Yeah. And they used a Coyote engine, and they used our Gen 4 system in it. And uh, 
pretty cool little car. I mean, that's Fox Body. He's the one, you know, when I, again, when I was growing up, that would not would be what you'd consider a hot rod. But now that they're a little older and, and guys are modifying them, yeah. pretty neat cars. Well, I mean, that was the, a lot that, of them. That was the top Mustang at the time yep. when you were, you know, yep. you know, when you were in your 20s and, yeah. you know. yeah. Screw around and so yeah we do through our we don't have a bolt-in system for it yet but but the components the builder series components we yeah. have work well in there something tells me that one will probably come along because that's that's a very that's becoming yeah. a very popular yeah. i platform. agree with you i agree and it's and it's a platform with a lot of years it there's is a lot i mean of you got like 25 years yes. on that yeah. one so yeah. there's a lot of commonality i think that's going to be one that's going to be coming i think i think the ck chevy pickups the 88 to 96 ck chevy pickups yeah yeah are going to gain some traction yeah, and then you know and those are even a little more modern than the Mustangs are, but all of those are, yeah, the factory systems were there, but, God, they were awful. Yeah, and they were big. They were large. You know, our systems are a lot smaller. They're a lot lighter. You can smooth the firewall. We get more engine compartment space and yep. all of that, and so there's a lot of advantages to it, and yet it's still, you know, the technology is, when you look at it, it's 30-year-old technology in a lot of ways. A lot of vacuums in it mm-hmm. still, vacuum operation, and so there's there's good reasons on a lot of those those vehicles to upgrade. Yeah, I, I mean, hell, uh, I, I wish I could. Uh, I wish you guys built stuff for one of my for one of my new cars. <laughs> it don't work so great on yeah, the AC department. So, and you know, another thing that I saw here a lot is is two forties, two sixties, two eighty Zs. Yes, you know, a lot of them this year. Two forty Z is creeping up in price. Yes, and it is a very pretty car. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, that's uh, that's a car again that. Six seven years ago, you could have bought one of those for five or six thousand right. dollars. A clean one, a really clean, a clean one. one. Now they're twenty five. Yep. So that's a, but they seem to be really gaining. Although traction. I think the two sixty is still kind of a sweet spot, and that they're still relatively cheap, but they look yeah. almost the same. Right. You right. know, two eighty no starts problem. getting larger for sure. It's a bigger car. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not a fan of the two eighty. Yeah. To be very honest, and then you get into yeah. three hundred, right. and it's just bah. Right. You know, right. but uh, yeah. All right. Well, Rick, uh, is there anything else you want? Any knowledge you want to bestow upon our listeners before we? Uh, <laughs> No, I think it's, I just think, you know, it's one of these things I think we are in such a great time now. The aftermarket has so many good parts available that are user-friendly, you know, that that the average guy can do. I mean, you can upgrade the suspension, upgrade the brakes, upgrade the climate control in in any car you're building now. I mean, what's available through our industry now is better than it's ever been. And, boy, there's never been a better time to be a hot rodder. Yeah, and uh, there's no need to sweat while you're doing it. Right. So. Exactly. And that's VintageAir.com, right? Yes, sir. And Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff? All of that good stuff. All being handled by our fine, uh, friends at Con Media? Very much so, and handled very well. Yes, they do. I, I Everybody I see them sign on, I see their company profile get a bit better. Yep, So always. Rick, pleasure as usual. Same here. All Thank right. you. Enjoy SEMA. Yep, this has been uh, Hooniverse Podcast once again, live from the SEMA show floor with MagnaFlow, uh, right in the uh, little podcasting nook here behind the MagnaFlow stage. And uh, we appreciate them having us out. And... Uh, that's it. Uh, we've got some more shows coming up tomorrow, but I think this is the last one for me today. Give you some time to go out and look around. Uh, that was the idea. All right, cool. Rick, thank you. Thank you.